Thank you, Pastor. Let me join the preacher in welcoming you to the service this morning. If you're glad to be here, give us a good rousing amen. amen. I'll take that. And sometimes some churches have to go through that three times before they get it right. Some never do get it right. I like amens. It means I agree. It means park there for a while and hit that nail again. Sometimes it means old so-and-so and his wife, or he'll let them have it. Some people get blessed while others are getting blasted. But anyway, it's a blessing to be here this morning. If you're a member of the church, you're right where you should be. If, but wouldn't it be wonderful if every member came to every service? I know people have to work. I know people are afflicted sometimes. I understand that. God understands that. But really, the ideal is that every member should come to every service. Unless they're working, of course, or sick or something like that. It would be a wonderful thing if it did. And if you're this to here today, um, I'm glad you chose to come here. And I hope you'll come back. If you're here for the first time, please come back and hear the pastor preach. You'll know a lot more about this church than you will when I preach here. And if you're not saved, you are a special guest. You are among friends. You're among people that love you and care for you and be absolutely ecstatic if you got saved. I'm glad I'm saved, aren't you? It means you don't have to go to hell. And that has been suggested a number of times for me, but I'm still not going. Amen. Anyway, I have several books left on the book table, and um, uh, let me plead with you to buy these books. I don't want to haul these things back through the airport again, and uh, I'll be there to help you. If you, don't, if you can't afford the prices on there, talk to me. We'll negotiate. Uh, as, the, as the car salesman said, we will take less. Anyway, I want you to get those books if you can. And um, I, um, for those of you that are listening to the live stream, God bless you for listening. Thank God we have that. Came in real handy during the pandemic, amen. Uh, people could listen and not have to be outside their homes. And uh, I think we've lived past that pretty much now. Uh, I think some people use that as the, a reason or excuse to just uh, listen in their, wear their pajamas and listen to the Sunday services right there in the house and drink coffee and eat donuts and so forth. And that really wasn't the idea with that live stream thing, folks. And uh, matter of fact, if you're afraid to get out anywhere, I understand that, but look, don't let me see you at Walmart. You know, if you're going to use that as a reason you can't come to church, don't go to Walmart, amen, or anywhere else. Anyway, I, um, that's not my intention to preach a long sermon. I want to let you out in good time today. Uh, I don't know whether it's harder to preach to Baptists who are waiting to go eat or Baptists who have just been to eat. Uh, it's uphill either way. <laughs> I... Uh, Heard about one fellow's preacher was up preaching. I guess they just had a meal and one of his men went to sleep. And he ignored that for a while until the guy started snoring. And he said to his wife, said, uh, would you please wake your husband up? She said, I will not. You put him to sleep, you wake him up. <laughs> anyway, I, uh, I don't know how this is going to go. I didn't get a flowery introduction this morning. I mean, how are the people going to know the evangelist is great if the pastor doesn't tell them, Amen. Appreciate the good music. You folks always have that here. Uh, by the way, that's important. The only people that are going, not going to be out of a job in heaven are the singers. They're going to be singing in heaven, folks. If you don't like it down here, you're not going to like heaven. Amen. You, you folks have the best, man. Good selections of hymns, special music. And uh, I'll tell you something. If God moved me to this area, I'd come to, I wouldn't even pray about it. I'd just come to this church here. <laughs> if he didn't want me here, you'd have to block the door. Amen. You'd have to block the road some way or another. Anyway, um, I'm going to read this morning from John chapter 14. By the way, on that music thing, 
I read somewhere a while back, and I don't know how true this is, but I'm going to assume it is true, that God's church, the church of Jesus Christ, has put to music and used over 400,000 hymns in the church age. Now, I don't know how true that is. Could be true. Could be more than that. I'll tell you one thing. I've never heard a Muslim hymn. Uh, they chant, but they don't have hymns because they don't have hymn, amen. They don't have anything to sing about. Do a lot of chanting. Thank God for our good hymns and those you used this morning and the special music as well. It's all, all a blessing. John chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. The Bible said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. Whither I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest. And how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. With that, I want us to bow our heads now and pray again. Father in heaven, I thank you for the word of God that you've given to us. We've had the privilege of having it all of our lives, and thank you for this text. Thank you, Lord, for the Holy Spirit's impression upon my heart to read from it, enlarge upon it, give the sense of it. I'd like to do that this morning, and I pray that you'd touch me afresh and give me that divine enabling. Give me what a preacher must have in order to be effective and without which he could not. Help me to preach this morning, not too fast and not too slow and not too high and not too low, but to preach effectively. And uh, Lord, have your will in every heart is my prayer. For those that need encouragement, I pray they'll find it. For those that need a challenge, I pray they'll find that. Perhaps, Lord, for those who are not saved, that they'd find the reason this morning and find, uh, find the courage to come down the aisle and trust Christ as Savior. And Lord, help me once again to love these people as I preach to them as if I myself were their pastor. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. But we have an introduction. I'm going to call your attention to the setting from which I've read. It actually extends over chapters 13 through 16. Uh, Jesus is preparing his disciples for his hour. Uh, reading the book of John, if you remember this, have noticed this, uh, up until this part of the book of John, you'd find his hour was not yet come. His hour was not yet come. Now you find his hour is come. It was approaching. The disciples were not prepared for that because they didn't really believe he was going to die. You remember Peter rebuked the Lord when the Lord mentioned the fact that he was going to Jerusalem. He's going to die there. And Peter rebuked him over that. And, of course, Jesus set him straight on that. But in preparing them because they weren't prepared, Jesus talked about four very important relationships. You find those in chapter 13, 14, 15, and 16. For instance, in chapter 13, there was relationship there among themselves, one with the other. As a matter of fact, he demonstrated that in verses 1 through 17 when the Bible said he knelt down and washed the disciples' feet. In those days, they didn't wear shoes like we wear. They didn't wear boots like we wear. And they wore sandals if they wore anything at all. And uh, when they would arrive at a, at a home somewhere, uh, their feet would be dusty or dirty. And uh, it was an humbling thing for the host to take a basin of water and a towel and wash their feet. And uh, Jesus did that in verses 1 through 17. And what he was doing in doing that was he submitted himself to them. He served them because he loved them. He's demonstrating something he's just about to declare. In verse 34 and 35, a new commandment is given to you that you love one another. As I have loved you that you love one another, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples, if you have love one for another. 
Now, one thing he's saying in there, to put it crudely, is this. The people out there will decide the people in here are disciples of him up there if they see that we love each other. Conversely, the people out there, if they see that we do not love each other, will not decide that we're disciples up there. That's the essence of verse 34 and 35. He demonstrated that, then he declared that they were to love one another, be subject to one another, and serve one another because they are going to need each other. They're facing the worst crisis that ever faced in their careers, disciples. And uh, they're not even prepared. They didn't even know what was going to happen. And uh, Jesus knew that. And uh, John thirteen seventeen said, I've given you an example that you should do. You should do as I have done to you. And may I say to you folks this morning, we need each other also. We're facing very uncertain times in, in America. All of my life we've had crisis in America and I've been able to see the end of the tunnel. I do not see the end of the tunnel in our situation today, folks. Uh, it looks like instead of falling apart, it's coming together for the preparation of the Lord's return. That's what it looks like to me. But we need each other. We don't have a one to spare. When I pastored, I pastored for 19 years. And I'm telling you the truth when I say this. I never had one church member leave that looked good leaving. I didn't want anybody to leave. We could not spare a one. Amen. And I'm sure your pastor feels the same way. But notice, secondly, in chapter 14, it was another relationship he talked about there. It was a relationship not between themselves among themselves, but between them and him. As a matter of fact, and he said, um, essentially, they were to love him and serve him and be submitted to him. In other words, you'll never have an excuse. You'll never have a reason to justify not walking in obedience to me regardless of the magnitude of the crisis that comes. Folks, we are not excused from obeying Christ. It doesn't matter what happens. We're due and expected to obey the Lord Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, in verse 15 of chapter 14, he said, If you love me, keep my commandments. That is an, that is an admonition. In verse 21, he that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. That is an observation. In verse 23, if a man love me, he will keep my words. That is a declaration. So we see an admonition. We see an observation. We also see a declaration there. And Jesus talked about the fact of a relationship between themselves and him in chapter 14. Then in chapter 15, he talked about another relationship. That was their relationship with the world. And I can abbreviate that somewhat. Uh, essentially, he told them, the world's not going to like you. They're going to hate you. And they do hate the Christ that lives in your life. You know, if you could be religious, be a Christian without Jesus, you probably wouldn't have much opposition. But you can't be a Christian without Christ. And the devil hates the Christ that lives in your life. And he hates you because of that. As a matter of fact, in John 15, 19, he said, If you were out of the world, the world would love his own, but because you're not of the world, but I've chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Listen, I'm going to take his word for that. Are you going to work on a new job? You're a Christian. You're a witness for Christ. You give out tracts and so forth and witness when you can. And, uh, and people don't ask you to go to lunch with them. I went to work for Sears, Roebuck & Company many, many years ago. And uh, there were several in our department. And uh, I'd hear Howard say to um, someone else, and, uh, let's go take a break together. And, uh, they t and Dirk, take, let's go take a break together. They'd always go take a break together. They never asked me to take a break with them. And I wondered what is wrong with me. I, I didn't have it figured out then. I thought, what is, why don't they like me? And come to find out, we didn't have much in common. They felt uncomfortable with me. And that's the reason for it. By the way, that's where it's going to be when you, you're going to work on a new job, folks. 
It's going to be that way with you. If your Christianity really sticks out, some people are not going to be close to you just because of that. The Bible said in 1 Peter 4.12, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. The Bible said in 1 Peter 4.16, Yet if you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed of it. If any man suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. And by the way, there's going to be some price. If you're going to live for God in America in the next few years, it's going to cost you more than getting your feelings hurt. Amen. A lot of people get their feelings hurt, quit on God. But uh, by the way, people don't quit because they get their feelings hurt. They quit because when they get their feelings hurt, they don't love Jesus enough to keep going. Somebody say amen. But notice something else. There's another relationship. That was in chapter 16. Not between themselves among themselves or between them and him or between them and the world. It was between them and the Holy Spirit. You remember what Jesus said in verse 7? Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comfort will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin. He goes on to talk about the Holy Spirit. But one thing you mentioned there in verse 7 particularly was our comforter. Thank God Jesus prayed the Father. The Father sent a comforter down. The Holy Spirit of God, he's been here ever since. Also, looking back for the message now in chapter 14, in the, kind of the middle of this context, I want you to notice that Jesus addressed himself to four vital issues. And I'll kind of enlarge on those if you're making notes. There was the issue, first of all, of peace of heart. And by the way, think of this in relation to our world today. See, our world knows nothing about peace. You talk about it. They write about it. If you buy the large Sunday newspaper from any large city and you read all the way through that thing, you're going to find the word peace probably many, many times. But the world experientially knows nothing about it. Our president, Truman, in 1945 and his communist cronies got together and they organized and set up what came to be called the United Nations. They said the purpose of it was to attain and maintain peace so there'd never be another world war where millions of people's lives were lost. By the way, it wasn't set up for that purpose after all. It was set up to become a vehicle for global government. They've been on the wrong side of every international issue since 1945. Amen. I can spend time there. My wife doesn't like me to get into politics. She said, you're going to get in politics today? I say, honey, I got in politics 62 years ago when I started preaching. Amen. Can't preach the Bible without being political. But anyway, United Nations, ever since 1945, uh, I know and you know that there's no nation on planet Earth that has been touched by war to some degree and in some way. And violence and terrorism on every continent, mostly by the Muslims, amen. Violent crime in every city. Do you realize there's not one place in America that you can go that is so remote that you'd be totally safe from any violent crime being perpetrated against you? There's no place like that in America now. Used to be. I understand now American cities, large cities, are more dangerous than a lot of third world nations are. I'm talking about as far as your safety is concerned. It's really a sad matter. We've come so far in the wrong direction. Violent crime. Somebody did some research a while back and said 80% of the Americans who live and die can expect to have some violent crime perpetrated against them sometime in their life. And there must be some truth in that. Uh, all these cities. Uh, listen, our large cities these days, especially those controlled by the Democrats, are, are turned, they've turned into jungles. And it's dangerous to walk down the streets. Uh, don't leave me with that. Say amen. Didn't hear enough amens. 
When I say something like that, folks, don't leave it just with me. You participate in it, amen. <laughs> Millions of violent crimes annually committed in America. The federal prison population is probably the top two million by now. I mean, many millions. The Bible said, in order to support my point here, Isaiah 57, 20 and 21, the wicked like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt, there is no peace, saith my God to the wicked. The Bible said in Romans 3, 17, Paul said this, the way of peace they know not. He's talking about by experience. They talk about it. They write about it. They try to get it. It is not there. They cannot get it. The world is looking for it, but they'll never get it. But notice the world is seeking peace, but they're looking for it in the wrong places. For instance, they look for it in prosperity, but it isn't there. The Bible said in Ecclesiastes 5.10, He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth abundance with increase. God said that. God knows human nature, folks. He knows us in and out. The Bible said in Proverbs 16.8, Better is little with the fear of the Lord than great revenues without right. Better is little with the fear of the Lord, the Bible said. The Bible said in First Timothy 6, verse 7 and following, For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. They that will be rich fall into temptation and the snare, and many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition, for the love of men is root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they veered from faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Uh, you know what's wrong politically in America? Uh, money's behind all the wrong stuff that's going on in America, folks. You know that saying, follow the money, you'll find the problem, follow me. There's a lot of truth in that. I, I read about a young man who was trying to witness to a fellow who was pretty well healed financially. And um, everything that young man said to this guy, he was able to refute to his own satisfaction. Finally, he looked at the young soul winner and he said, young man, I have everything I could ever want. I can do anything I want to do. There's nothing I want or can or to do that I can't get or do. The young man looked him right in the eye and he said, you don't have peace. And he said, how did you know that? <laughs> because it's the truth. It is not out there. Howard Hughes, I understand, was talking to Billy Graham many, many years ago. And, and uh, I understand he said to Billy Graham, I am the most miserable man in the world. Probably he's one of the richest men in the world at that time. Worth about three or four million billion dollars. That's a lot of money, you know. Well, where I'm from it is. Anyway, uh, he said, I, I will never get to enjoy my assets. I will never see a lot of my assets. I can only eat one meal at a time, wear one suit at a time, be in one place at a time, drive one car at a time, pilot one plane at a time, captain one ship at a time. He said, I'm so limited, I'll never be able to enjoy all of my assets and my wealth. Uh, by the way, how would you like to have 2,000 suits hanging in the closet and you couldn't wear but one at a time? <laughs> you know, it'd be like some of the wives, you know, their closet goes all the way across one side of the bedroom, you know. Dresses as far as you can see in the distance. Shoes knee deep in the floor. Uh, you know, I tease my wife about this. We go to thrift stores. Anybody here go to thrift store? Raise your hand. Anybody? Do you see those shoes? Those are my preaching shoes. My preaching shoes for 38 years have come from a thrift store. Now, and they look like new. Those shoes cost $175 new. I bought them for 8 bucks in a thrift store in Jacksonville, Florida. Been wearing them several years. I don't mind telling you that, folks. But you go into a thrift store, and usually what I do, I go to the men's shoe rack. You know what they have? About 10 pair. Right on the other side, there's racks and racks and racks and racks of women's shoes. Amen. 
One preacher said, my wife must surely be an angel. Said she's always up in the air harping on something and doesn't have an earthly thing to wear. (laughs) Oh my, someone said, it's not what you're eating that's bothering you. It's what's eating you. Now, folks, you can slice this any way you want to, but the world is looking and trying to gain peace. But they're looking in the wrong place. It's not in prosperity. It's not in pleasure. You know, pleasure is a multi-billion dollar industry in America. If you could invent a new pleasure, a form of pleasure, and get a copyright or a patent on it, in 30 days you'll be set for life. I don't care if you live to be 100 years old. Because Americans are going to get it. We live in a pleasure-mad world, do we not? If they don't have the money to buy it, they'll use their plastic. And if they don't have enough plastic, they'll steal it, amen? Americans are bound to have pleasure. But I'm going to tell you something about pleasure, folks. It doesn't bring peace. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 11:24, by faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. You know what he took? Listen, he, he took uh, heartache and grief even over pleasure and even popularity. See, he was in line to become Pharaoh down in Egypt. I, I'm, you know, I laugh about that situation. Uh, God's raising up a, a person to deliver the Israelites, and he's having Pharaoh pay all the bills. Don't you know the angels in heaven laughed about that? He's having Pharaoh to pay all the bills, and that's something. <laughs> I believe God has a sense of humor, don't you? Somebody told me one time, said, if you don't believe God has a sense of humor, look in the mirror. I never knew what they meant. You act like you do. <laughs> But it's not in pleasure, it's not in prosperity, it is not in popularity. Let me tell you something, the heathens of Hollywood are the envy of millions and millions of Americans. Because they have prosperity, popularity, or they think they have power. I couldn't care less what they think politically, could you? (laughs) Can you imagine them thinking we care what they think? (laughs) Anyway, I understand though that the most miserable crowd in America... I read this. I read that there are more psychiatrists per capita in Hollywood, California than any city in the world. They say if you live in Hollywood and you don't have a psychiatrist, you're crazy, man. Everybody can have one. (laughs) See, here's what I'm going to tell you. Jesus Christ is the man to consult because the world cannot provide it. Uh, listen, if you're, if you're listening to my live stream and you're not saved, you're never, ever, ever going to find peace until you come to the man of peace. Amen. Amen. The prince of peace. There are three reasons I say he is able. Number one, he is anxious. Do you notice how this chapter starts? Let not your heart be troubled. What about verse 18? I will not leave you comfortless. How about verse 27? Peace I leave with you, my peace give unto you, and as the world give it, give unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You know what God's saying? I don't want you to live with a troubled heart. You don't have to live with a troubled heart, folks, if you are close to God. Because He's casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. Psalm 55, 22. Uh, listen, you can cast all your cares upon Him, 1 Peter 5, 6. Trust Him with that, the Bible said. He will carry cares. Let me tell you something since you brought this up. It is not fair for you to have a lot of troubles to deal with, come to church on Sunday morning and dump them on everybody else when you haven't even laid them on Christ. That's not fair, folks. 
Listen, every preacher that's been in church very long knows who not to ask on Sunday morning, did you have a good week? <laughs> Especially right before preaching time. Because <laughs> they'll give you the letdown. But he is anxious. Not on that, he is able. You know what he said in Matthew eleven twenty eight? Come unto me, all ye that labor and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. <laughs> you know who said? All. He said, I'll take all comers. You know, one reason I know I'm saved, because I came to Jesus, March the 12th of 1958. I didn't know how to pray, didn't know much about God at all, but I knew I wanted to be saved. I knew Jesus died for my sins. I came to Christ, and he said, him that cometh to me, let no wise cast out. You know why? He wants to save us a thousand times more than we want to be saved. <laughs> John 14, 27, John 16, 33, numerous. By the way, he was able to give peace to the demoniac of Gadara. You remember that story in Mark chapter 5? Here's the man, Jesus, came up to the shoreline, that little boat. And here comes a man running down the shoreline, meets Jesus. Jesus said, what's your name? The demon's inside. My name is Legion, for we're many. If you've never met anybody full of the devil, meet this man, because he was full of the devil, full of devils. Anyway, uh, Jesus cast him out. To make a long story short, uh, he's going to cast him out. And the demons, by the way, have you ever noticed when Jesus shows up, the demons always stand at attention? You're never going to find where they ever sashed him or talked back to him uh, because they knew who he was. And uh, one of the demons said, um, said, would you let us go into there? Well, I mean, if it would be all right with you. I mean, I mean, if it's okay with you. <laughs> Could we go into the herd of swine? I mean, if that's all right with you. <laughs> I think Jesus, in good southern terminology, said, I think that would be a good idea. Vamos! First case of suicide. First case of devil ham. Amen. <laughs> I don't like deviled ham. I don't like devil's food or deviled eggs and devil's food cake. Why did they name it devil's food cake? I like angel food cake, don't you? And let's change those eggs to angel eggs, not deviled eggs. I don't like anything about the devil, amen. Anyway, how did I get off on it? Anyway, Jesus cast the demons out of this fellow. And in verse 15, the Bible said the keepers of the swine had fled. And uh, they came back and they saw him that was possessed of the devils sitting and clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. You know, I worry about people that worry about people that get a good case of salvation and start giving their life to Jesus, read their Bible regularly and pray and witness and so forth. Say, I'm worried about that boy. <laughs> Why don't they worry about him before God comes into their life? Amen. Thank God for young men that got to get, really get a good case for salvation. And they want to serve God and give their entire life for God. We need more young men to do that. Amen. Lots more, amen, and young ladies. But he cast the demons out. By the way, when you read that context, you have to realize that Jesus is Lord because in, in chapter 4, the last part, he's Lord over despair. In chapter 5, in the first part, he's Lord over demons. In the middle of the chapter, he's Lord over disease. At the end of the chapter, he's Lord over death. Raise Jairus' daughter back to life. I tell you, folks, we are serving the Lord. Amen. Yeah. The Lord. Amen. Not a Lord. Well, that thief on the cross recognized that, and he got saved. Uh, he didn't just get saved. He got saved. Hey, hey, saved, saved, saved. You're not just plain old saved. <laughs> you know, the Campbellites, they explained this way. Except with them, you know, you have to be baptized to be saved. And they said, well, he died in a dispen different dispensation. 
No, he didn't. Let me tell you why. Hebrews chapter 9 said, A testament's in effect upon the death of the testator. Jesus died before the thieves did. That puts everything on this side of Calvary, amen, including those thieves. What you have there is on the middle cross, a redeemer who's dying for sin. On this cross, a rejecter dying in sin. On this cross, is a receiver dying to sin. I like to preach on that. And I come awfully close to preaching on that every Sunday morning, wherever I am. Anyway, we notice, notice that issue of peace of heart. Notice there's a place in heaven here. We're talking about issues. See, nobody in their right mind wants to go to hell, do they? You know what Jesus said in Matthew 10, 28, Fear not them which are able to kill the body, but not to be killed the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Uh, don't fear the wrong person. I mean, fear Jesus Christ. You need to be fearing him. The Bible said in Luke 16, 22, And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels in Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried and in hell and lifted up his eyes, being in torment, seeth Abraham afar off. And Lazarus in his bosom and cried out, said, Father Abraham, would you have Lazarus to come and dip this finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. By the way, have you ever noticed something about that? Uh, this man is a whole being. You, when you leave this world, you're not a spirit flopping around somewhere. This man can see, he can speak, he can feel, uh, he can even feel compassion, tell my five brothers not to come. He's a whole being in hell, folks. And uh, when you die and go to heaven, you're going to be a whole being there too. I noticed in Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 8, and man of transfiguration, Moses and Elias appeared there. They were Moses and Elias, recognizable, whole beings, amen. I'm, I'm trying to stay on my point. You're not helping me. <laughs> See, as a believer, it's important. Heaven's important. Let me tell you why. It has room for every believer. Amen. Hell has gone through an enlargement program, but Jesus said there's still plenty of room in heaven. In my Father's house are many mansions. When I say many, it means a lot. When God says it, it means a lot more than it does when I say it. So far, you can tell everybody there's still plenty of room in heaven. Amen. Hell's... Been, God didn't plan for you to go there. Hell's been enlarged. But heaven still has plenty of room. I'm glad. Matter of fact, it's reserved for us. First Peter 1 Peter 1.4, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fate is not away reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith and the salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You know, you could put this, ep this epitaph on your, on your tomb at your gravesite and it would not be inappropriate just put the word kept, because we are kept. Charles Spurgeon said, it's not your hold on Jesus that's so important, it's his hold on you. <laughs> oh my, it has room for everybody. Has your registration of my citizenship, Luke 10, 20. Notwithstanding in this, rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Charles Spurgeon said, we're saved because... We're in his book, we're in his hands, we're in his heart. I'm going to tell you, if you have eternal life, folks, that's exactly what you have. It took me just a little while when I first got saved at the age of 15 to come to that conclusion. But listen, once I did, it was like knocking over a row of dominoes, man. Don't ever, ever get in an argument with me about eternal life because you're going to lose. But anyway, it has room for every believer. It has registration, citizenship, has the record of our service. Has it ever slipped up to you and said, you know, nobody ever pays any attention to all you do here at the church. Nobody really appreciates you. 
I'll beg your pardon, God is recording it. That's one that counts. In the Sermon on the Mount, three times, the Lord said, Verily they have their reward. That's what a lot of people want. You don't want that. You want the one God has for you in heaven. Amen. Record of our service. 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 15 tells us that, doesn't it? By the way, that tells us exactly how the judgment seat of Christ will unfold. I won't spend time on it. But it also has rewards for our faithfulness. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 10, we know that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body. According to that, he has done whether it be good or bad. God has a record of our service. He has rewards for our service. I read about, just for an illustration, I read about this lady who was in a prestigious uptown church. And uh, let me tell all this before you laugh. Um, she was in charge of the committee on committees. Boy, that church needs prayer, buddy. Uh, somebody said, if you want to get something done, don't get a committee. Get somebody to do it, amen. I mean, if you run out of toilet tissue in the bathroom, since gets to the store and get there. <laughs> don't get a committee to work on it. Anyway, she had arrived in heaven. She thought she'd get a big reward because, after all, she was in charge of the committee on committees. God gave her a little motor scooter to ride around in heaven on. Now, she didn't say anything, but she was highly disappointed. She starts down the road, and the thing had a blowout, pow, pulled it over, parked it. She's standing there so distraught. And what really compounded that was a dear lady who served God in the shadows and never received any accolades had arrived in heaven and God gave her a Cadillac. Man, she can, she's fit to be tied now. The only thing that helped her feelings at all was about the time that Cadillac got out of sight, her pastor came by on a pair of roller skates. <laughs> now, Pastor, I don't even know if that story is true or not. I've just heard that. <laughs> Listen, it holds a reunion for the redeemed. We're going to see Abel. I want to see Adam and Eve. Did you know that? Matter of fact, I want to talk to that couple, don't you? <laughs> Every heartache you've ever had in your life of any type came because sin got in the bloodstream of mankind. I heard that Adam was coming in a little bit late each day, and you know how wives are. They're going to notice that, and after a while, she broached the subject. She said, Adam, is there someone else? Honey, you are the only one. She pretended to accept that until he went to sleep that night, and she very carefully counted his ribs again. <laughs> but listen, it holds a reunion for the redeemed. I have an idea, Lester Ruloff, I think God's probably going to have a, a little red airplane for Lester Ruloff. Amen. Some of you know Lester Ruloff. <laughs> i tell you what else it means. It means a rest for the people of God. I wouldn't dare ask you this morning how many of you, just to be honest, would lift your hand to indicate that you're tired. I, don't do that. Because people live tired. I don't know what it's like to be rested. I don't know, preacher, how long it's been since I have rested. I do not know. I don't know what it's like to feel rested. I think God's not going to let me rest because he knows if I ever got rested, I wouldn't start up again. <laughs> but you know what? There's a rest for the people of God. <laughs> we get to heaven. But notice something else. Not only is there peace of heart and a place in heaven. He talked about it. There's also the promise of his return. 
Nothing is more settled in the word of God than that. It is sure. Someone did an analysis. I don't know who did it. They said there's 269 references in the Bible to the first coming of Christ. However, there are more than 2,100 references to his second coming. It seems to me that God made his point. Amen. You know what verse 3 said? If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. If that were stated only one time in the Bible, that would be adequate. How many times did God have to say something for it to be true? The angel said, we'd like to get in on that. Remember what happened in Acts chapter 1, verse 9, when he had spoken these things, while they beheld it was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also sent men of Galilee, while stand you gazing up in looking up in heaven, gazing up in heaven. For this same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall come and so come in like manner as you've seen him go into heaven. The Bible said he's coming with clouds. Some skeptic says, Ah, what if it's a clear day? He'll bring some clouds with him. Listen, some of, some of the prophecies in the Bible, folks, are unreasonable from the human point of view. Don't worry about it. God will pull it off. He is going to pull it off. Paul referred to that in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, did he not? The scoffers are still coughing, scoffing about it. 2 Peter 3, 3. Knowing this first, and he goes on to talk about the people that doubt his coming. Matter of fact, I thought about James 5, 8. Be also patient, establish your heart, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Some skeptic says that was uttered 2,000 years ago. He hasn't shown up yet. Where is he? You know what I tell him? Go to God with that. And you know what he's going to tell you? What are you whining about? It's only been a couple of days. Did you get it? See, God's not bound with the constraints of time, folks. God exists in eternity. We have trouble with time. He doesn't. One day is with the Lord's a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. God would probably say it's only been a couple of days. <laughs> Listen, he'll get around to it. Don't you worry about it. But it's going to be sudden. Not only is it sure, it's going to be sudden. Matthew 24, 44 said, Therefore be ye also patient, therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. Now, I don't want you to look at me strange when I say this. I've got it figured out. It's going to be on Sunday morning, because the Bible said be two in the meal, two in the bed, and two in the field. Sunday morning, more than any other week, day of the week. I think we had, he said, in such an hour as you think not. We're living in such an hour as people think not today. Anyway, don't you leave here and say, Brother Fielder has predicted the return of Christ. <laughs> uh, by the way, I, I am predicting he's coming back. I'm just not predicting what day he's coming. There's some fellows got really embarrassed. The Jehovah's Witness got embarrassed. 1914, they said Jesus is coming back. He didn't show up. And uh, a fellow by the name of Whistling ain't. 88 reasons why Jesus coming in 88. Sent books all over the country. Harold Camping, guy on the East Coast, on a lot of radio stations, twice predicted the Lord's return on a certain date. You know, if I'd have been Jesus and I was planning to come back that day, I would have canceled it. <laughs> I mean, I'm like that, you know. Listen, it's sudden. And it is soon. James 5 8. Be also patient. Be also patient. Just hold on, folks. One of these days we're going to hear a trumpet sound so loud it's going to wake up the dead in Christ. 
Cemetery is going to be the liveliest place in town. I'll tell you something else. It's going to be sweet. Paul thought it was. You know, Paul lived all day, every single day, believing that the Lord could return today. And he looked forward to going to meet the Lord one way or another. And he's there. You know why? We're going to get a new body. It's a good thing this one will not handle heaven. Matter of fact, this one's not handling down here real well these days. There's a whole industry out there because of that. You know what? The dentist is going to be out of a job. Thank God for that. I can feel them drilling my teeth right now. <laughs> Some time ago, my wife, and I had had, my, my wife and I had a serious discussion, and I had to go to the dentist and get a partial plate put in. You didn't get that, did you? Somebody got it. I'm going to tell you something. Humor is humorous up here. Because you tell something humorous and the first wave gets it. Then a few moments later, the second wave gets it. Third wave gets it. And some have to ask somebody. We're going to get a new body. The dentist will be out of a job. The doctor's going to be out of a job. And every man's going to have a full head of hair. I said that in a church one time. The pastor didn't have any hair. They stopped looking at me and started looking at him. I said, Pastor, if they give you a rough time, you tell them, God, don't put a chrome dome on nothing cheap. Amen. But we're going to see the Lord. We're going to see our loved ones. And I have some news for you. We will never be out of his sight again. 1 Thessalonians four seventeen and 18. Never be out of his sight again. Wherever he is, that's where we will be. Say, so where is he going to be? Who cares? Amen. We're going to be with Jesus, wherever that is. Let me hurry and finish. By the way, it's going to be sad because there are going to be loved ones. They're not there. But notice there's another issue. There's the issue of the plan of redemption. See, I couldn't talk to you about peace of heart, a place in heaven, the promise of his return, without including the plan on how to get there. Jesus didn't leave that out. Look at verse 5. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whether thou goest, and how can we know the way? Talking about going to heaven. Jesus answered that in verse 6. He said, Now, if you're real spiritual, you'll see this in between the lines. Thomas, I believe even you will get this. <laughs> I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. By the way, that's true. Thomas asked that question. Jesus answered that in verse 6. Have you ever noticed that little phrase, I am, appears more than 50 times in the book of John, the Gospel of John alone? Over 50 times. And, and you know what Jesus said in John 8, 12? I am the light of the world. He didn't say, I'm a light. I am the light of the world. He said in John 10, 9, I am the door. Isn't it amazing and unique that God used a carpenter to put a door in the kingdom of God? Jesus raised up as a carpenter, folks. He said in John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. By the way, the shepherd has four shepherd titles. I love them. He said, I'm the, I'm the way. There is no other way. Acts 4, 12, neither is there salvation in any other. For there's none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. There is no other way. 1 Corinthians 3, 11, for the foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. You know what Jesus said in John 8, 24? He said this to the elect and the non-elect. I said, therefore, unto you, that if, you die, if you believe not that I am here, you shall die in your sins. If you believe not that I am here. By the way, how could he say that to the elect? Because they're bound and determined to, be, to go to heaven, according to the Calvinist. God made sure of that. 
How could he say it to the non elect? Because God made sure they couldn't, according to them. How could he make a statement? By the way, how could you preach repentance to either side? Who would you preach it to, amen? <laughs> uh, I could get on that real easy. Um, but it's not a way, folks. Actually, it's not the Baptist way, the Presbyterian way, the Methodist way, Catholic way. It's the way. It happens, Baptists believe it. Do you know how I'm a Baptist? The Baptists believe the Bible is as it is for men as they are. As long as Baptists believe that, I'm a Baptist. When they stop believing that, I won't be a Baptist anymore. I'll be a Biblicist. I'm already prepared for it. By the way, a lot of Baptists have jumped ship. Taking Baptists off their church names. And you know what? They should. <laughs> they stop believing the Bible. Take it off your church name. You know what else he said? I'm the truth. You know what else he said? I am the life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. If you're saved, you have life. You've been a good audience and I appreciate it. Surely you're concerned about peace of heart, a place in heaven, the promise of his return, the plan of redemption, how to get there. If you're not saved, surely you're concerned about that. I'm going to tell you something again that I've already said. You cannot have the peace of God unless you know the God of peace. It is not available, folks. There are people out there at the races today. They're at the beach today. They're fishing today. They're doing all kinds of stuff out there today. They're trying to find what we've already found. They're not looking for Jesus, but they're looking for something that addresses that unsettled feeling inside. And they're not finding it because it isn't out there. You've been a good audience. You've listened well. I do appreciate it. I want you to stand. I want our pianist to come. Be ready to play on the instrument. Father in heaven, I thank you for the word of God. I trust the Holy Spirit's used it this morning to speak to our hearts and challenge our hearts and assure our hearts and even bring conviction to the heart of anyone that needs Christ. Oh, God, may there not be one person in this building, leave this building, pass through those doors that doesn't have the matter of eternity settled. Oh, God, may it not be so. I pray in Jesus' name, while our heads remain bowed and our eyes are closed and Christians are praying, I'm going to ask you two questions. Number one, if you can go back to a place in your life where you know you trusted Jesus as your Savior, you're convinced of that. You're not embarrassed about that, and I know you're not. I want you to raise your hand high so that I can see it. Raise it high so that I can see it. Hold it up for me, please. Raise it high so that I can see it. Raise it high, please, so that I can see it. God bless you. You can put your hands down. Not everyone lifted your hand on that proposition. Therefore, I need to ask you another question. If, if you didn't raise your hand, was it because you can't go back to a place in your life where you know you trusted Jesus? If that's the case, I want to promise you something. If you lift your hand on this proposition, I will not personally come to you, and I will not personate you, and I will not call your name, but I will pray about the reason you lifted your hand. Preacher, I don't have the matter settled. I'm concerned about it. I wish you'd pray for me about it. Would you lift your hand? Anyone like that here this morning? Just slip it up so that I can see it. I see a hand raised on my right. I see one, another one, two, three on my right. Are there some others? One on my left. While Christians are praying, folks, are there some others that I've missed? Uh, some on the right side, on the left side. I'm going to ask the pastor to stand here in front of the desk. Pastor, would you do that, please, sir? 
I'm going to pray, folks. After I pray, I'm going to issue a challenge to you. Father in heaven, thank you for these dear folk that had the courage to lift their hand that the matter of eternity is not settled in their life. Obviously, they realize Jesus Christ is the answer. I pray for them this morning. Help them to know that they're among friends. They're among people that would be ecstatic, excited if they came down the aisle to receive Christ as Savior. God help them to do that. While Christians are praying. I pray that in Jesus' name. While heads remain bowed and Christians are praying, I want to challenge you. If you listen, if you raised your hand on that proposition, you're concerned about this matter of eternal life. If you're a lady, if you come forward, the pastor will have one of the ladies to go aside with you and counsel with you. If you're a man, he'll have one of the men do that. Would you slip out from where you are and meet the pastor right down here? Are you serious about that? You'll not find a better opportunity to get saved than right here this morning. I've preached Christ to you. Would you slip out from where you are and meet the preacher right here? If you lifted your hand on that proposition, would you slip out from where you are and meet the preacher right here? Would you do it? Just slip out from where you are right now. Now's a good time. That's right. Just slip out from where you are. Meet the pastor down here. That's right. There's some others of you out there that if I could persuade you to do it, I would. I can only invite you and encourage you. But if you'll come to this pastor, he will know how to respond to your reason for coming forward. He will know how to respond to your reason for coming forward. Just like this gentleman right here. Are you going to obey that tug God has put on your heart this morning? Listen, I'm not a high-pressure evangelist. But I couldn't preach a sermon like this without giving you an opportunity to respond to it. Would you? Would you? Would you? Would you? Now, I want to ask you this. Some of you just maybe need to come to the altar and have prayer for one reason or another. Maybe something I haven't even preached about. I wish you'd feel the liberty to do that right now. If you need to use this altar for any reason, just slip out where you are because you can do that. Pray and go back to your seat when you're ready. While the music continues softly for just a few moments. I'm going to give the service over to the pastor. And very shortly, this service will be history. You may get to another and you may not, but this one will be history. These opportunities will be gone forever. Pastor, you come soon.